Today we'll be coming out of First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. Verse one starts, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness uh, conscience are seared, who forbid marriages and required abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this... For to this end will we toil and strive, because we have hope set on, living, on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Let not one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by, the, by prophecy when, you, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. All right, hey, as we dive in and as we look at God's Word today, some things that just really irritate me. I was sharing this, or somebody was sharing this with me, and I agreed with them today, this week while we were distributing some food. Participation trophies, right? How many of you like participation trophies? I do not. I am anti-participation trophy. You sign up for a team, you get on this team, and you get a trophy no matter what. Now, I will concede. I like participation t-shirts, okay? At the end of the season, they want to hand out a free shirt. I'm all in favor of that. But we had this team last basketball season, this past winter, coaching a girls team. Great team, phenomenal team, undefeated. First time I've ever coached a team undefeated. Here's the reason why. I didn't need to coach them. <laughs> They were just good. Got them in a draft. I don't know how I got these girls on the team. They just did great. Didn't have to tell them how to, this is a ball. This is how you dribble. Didn't have to do that. They knew that. We won. And then they bring us the trophies. And they say, here are your participation trophies. And I'm like, team, this is not what we're here for. We want what's bigger. We want what's better. We're going for the first place trophy. Not just the, hey, glad you checked off the sign. Here's your, we know that you were here and you showed up. We want the victory. We want first place trophies. So I pass those out. Normally I give speeches when we pass them out. Hey, you did so great this year. But I'm like, hey, just take these home. Put them somewhere, throw them away. That's not what we're going for. 
in life, I think sometimes that's just kind of where we like to be. In church, do we just want the participation trophy? Or do we want the victorious trophy? Do we want first place? Not because we're the best church, but because God is a great God. And we want him to use us. So a question I stumbled across while we were looking through this. If Woodland Park Baptist Church disappeared, I added the Woodland Park Baptist Church, okay? If Woodland Park Baptist Church disappeared, would the community notice? If we weren't here, would the surrounding area say, you know what? There's a void in our community that's missing. When that church all of a sudden poofed, vanished one day, we have an aching. There was a need that they were feeling. They were ministering to people. How would they feel? I've been here for a year. We've passed out school supplies to kids over at Westside. We've done some projects out in the community, and I go around, and when we're doing these things, I say, hey, I'm with Woodland Park Baptist Church, and they're like, where's that located at? I'm like, it's over on J.W. Davis. Where? Bospoga. Oh, that church. Okay? Would we be noticed if we weren't here? Today, I have a sermon for you. This isn't one I don't want to kick you in the teeth with, okay? That is not my goal. My goal is to challenge, okay? If it comes across as a kick in the teeth, either I have let you down or the Holy Spirit has kicked you in the teeth. But it's not me, okay? I want you to hear my heart on this. We've been going through the church of Ephesus, and we've been diving in as we talk about the church of Ephesus. We've gone from it being a church plant where there's these new believers. Now it's a little over 10 years old. We talked about the leadership in there being developed. All of a sudden it's established. When we talk about the area of Ephesus and you think city of Ephesus, you got to think 30 miles wide. That's the city of Ephesus. They didn't have cars back then. So when you talk about Timothy being the pastor at the church of Ephesus, who Paul has sent over and said, we have some issues, I need you to go on behalf of me and be the pastor and lead these people. We're talking about house churches going suburb to suburb as he leads and directs and preaches and trains and grows people into the word of God. That's who we're talking about when we talk about the church of Ephesus. It's not one central location they come to. It's many churches in that community area. Timothy is the right-hand man of Paul. Met on his first trip in Lystra. Uh, on the second trip going out for the missionary journey, teams up with Paul, goes out. Timothy's a great guy. Matter of fact, what we know about Timothy, he talks about his mom, uh, let me get his name, her name right. Eunice, grandmother Lois, they are great believers, Jewish people that were believers. All we know about dad is he was Greek, which probably means he wasn't a believer. Okay, we don't even know if he's in the picture at this time. Paul kind of takes Timothy under his wing and he says, I'm going to mentor you. You're my spiritual son and I'm going to grow you and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to train you. And as he does this, he becomes his most trustworthy laborer in Christ. When Paul goes to new places, he sends Timothy ahead. When Paul goes and there's an issue that comes up, he sends Timothy. And when Timothy speaks, he speaks on behalf of Paul. So when Timothy comes and you receive Timothy into your congregation, it's as if Paul is there speaking himself. Timothy is so important to him. You actually see him get in the salutations of six of the letters that Paul writes. 
Here's your Bible trivia for today. 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. All mention Timothy as a follower of Christ with Paul. Okay? So, in Bible trivia this week, when the question comes up, what six books is Timothy referenced in by Paul? There you go. Got it? You're not writing that down. Okay. When you lose, not on me. All right? So, that's who Timothy is. Paul has sent Timothy. He is now the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And as he's going around teaching, all of a sudden, because it's established church, because it's kind of spread out, doctrine, false doctrine starts sneaking in. Now, there's two types of false doctrine that are coming in, probably. One is that you see that Paul battles on a regular basis, and that's the Judaizers, the ones that come in and say, this is how you live a Jewish life, and you're not living a Jewish life. You say you're Jews, you say you follow the Old Testament, but yet you're living under this grace. It's not working. The second type of heresy that kind of came in and sneaks into the church is probably what Timothy's dealing with at this point. Matter of fact, in verse 1 it says, Now the Spirit expressly says in later times, Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created. Here is probably where we start seeing Greek thought slip into the church. It's where you have this theology, this doctrine that, hey, as long as you don't sin spiritually, do whatever you want physically, this Gnosticism that sneaks in. And Paul's saying, no, your spiritual and your physical life have to go together. They cannot be separate. But in Greeks, you can. In the Greek world, it's okay. And Paul's saying, no, Timothy, you've got to address this. You have to take care of this. And this is probably the heresy that's sneaking into the church, is that you have the Christian life, and they're trying to merge their Greek beliefs in with it and saying, we can do both. We can be spiritual however we want, and we can live however we want physically any other time of the week. So basically, it's like good church people. We can live how we want. We can be good and religious on Sunday and live how we want Monday through Saturday. And Paul says, no, you cannot do this. You have to correct this. So how does Paul address this issue? He pulls Timothy up and says, verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, here's a list of things I'm about to give you. If you put these before the brothers, Timothy, then they will listen to you as their leader, being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. For godliness, which requires more than just show up for participation trophy. Train yourself for godliness. So as we dive in to see what does it mean by training for godliness today, I want you to understand we have to, as our part of our family of believers, have to train for godliness. We can easily look at this message, and sometimes I think we do, and sit here and say, he's talking to Timothy, a pastor. This is a pastor's sermon. I disagree. This is a you sermon. This is a me sermon. Timothy is the subject of it, but we can put anybody's name in here, and Paul will still say the same exact thing. Matter of fact, when we get down to it in verse 12, it talks, we use it for youth ministry, right? Don't let them look down upon you for, despise you for your youth. Great youth ministry message. It's also a great church message too. Okay, we'll get to that in a sec. 
trained for godliness. First off, what is godliness? What is godliness? It's us being prepared for the game. It's us following God completely. It's us obeying what we already know. It's pursuing to become more like Christ. It's moving toward God instead of toward the world. It's pursuing to become more like Christ by joyfully embracing the patterns and priorities and purpose of Jesus. Tim's preached this a couple of weeks ago. What's godliness? Is us pursuing to be more like Christ by developing the priorities and patterns and purpose of Jesus within us. He says it's profitable now. Just as physical training is profitable now, it's profitable for us later too. Not just this life, but the life to come. So, holiness. When we talk about holiness, holiness is a positional standpoint. When I become a believer in Christ and Christ comes to my life, I stand before God. I'm declared holy. I'm declared righteous. Godliness is very practical. It's kind of the sanctification aspect of it, of me becoming more and more like Christ. So godliness is always practical, which means there are no shortcuts to godliness. We have to discipline ourselves for it. We have to, as Paul would say, train for it. We have to practice it, and we have to train for us to be more and more like God. But if you want godliness, you have to be willing to pursue it. So how do we pursue godliness in our life? Three ways I'm going to give you today. Okay, I'm not saying this is exclusive. This is just what's in the text. Three ways how we can be godly. First off, personal godliness. Personal godliness. In verse 12, when he says, do not let them look down upon you because of your youth. Instead, set the example. So, he's talking to a young pastor here and he says, don't let them look down upon you for your youth. In children's church today, Miss Whitney is talking about, don't let them look down upon you because you're a child. Instead, set the example. Senior adult ministry, don't let them look down upon you because you're old. Instead, set the example. Ladies, don't let them look down upon you because you're females. Instead, set the example. Men, set the example. Whatever your skin color is, whatever income you bring home, whoever you are, if you're a believer, set the example. And then he tells you how to set the example. And as you look through these, as we talk about setting the example in people's lives, how does the world perceive you. As you set the example personally in your life, you're training for your godliness. Not in your works, but what the Holy Spirit is moving in and through your life. How does the world perceive you as godly or worldly? How does the world see you in your speech? Is it uplifting or degrading? Is it calming or inflaming? Are your words divisive or cooperative? Man, y'all got real quiet. Huh? Getting a little close here? <laughs> okay. I'm still here. Don't worry. Talking to me too. Set the example in conduct. What are your actions known for? Selfishness or righteousness? Are your actions known as a manipulator or generous? Are your actions known as self-focused or other-focused? 
What about your love? How do you love one another? How do you love other people? Are you known as a selfish person? Or do you show godly love? Are you fixated on pleasures or fixated on meaningful relationships in your life? What about your faith? How do you see your faith? Is it a worldly faith or is it a godly faith? Is it conditional or unconditional? Do you look at God and say, God, if you do this, then I will do this. Or do you say, God, blank check, whatever you need, I'm here, I'm ready. Unconditional faith. Is your faith mentioned in passing or is it lived out daily? Is your faith stagnant or growing? Are you stuck in your faith or are you moving in your faith? Are you growing in your faith? Then lastly, Paul gives the example, set the example in purity and moral clean, cleanness. Do you live a pure life? Is it a, do you live a worldly life or a godly life? Is it based on desires, your desires or God's desires? Is it based on what you want or what God wants? Because see, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But America says, seek first your happiness. And you see where it's so easy for us to blend. Because see, when the Bible uses the word happy, the majority of times it's not a good thing. Those that seek happiness don't get there. Those that seek joy get there. Those that seek the kingdom of God have rewards. Those that seek godliness have benefit. Set the example, church. Set the example, Michael Blue. Set the example, each and every one of us. Do you seek personal godliness and are you training for it? Are you training for it? Secondly, are you training for public godliness? Here in verse 13, he kind of switches from the inside of, of Timothy, set the example. He switches and says, says devote yourself to the public to publicly reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching, which means after church, we're going to go down to this park. We're going to get the biggest microphone, and we're going to just start reading from Genesis to Revelation, okay? That is not what it means, okay? How many of you are relieved? You are like, I lost you there, Mike. Not going there. When we talk about reading publicly the scripture, the question is, is are you so pursuing godliness in your own life that it overflows on Monday morning. It overflows on Tuesday and Wednesday. Are you reading the scriptures so much that when you walk into work tomorrow and they ask, hey, where have you been this weekend? How many are you gonna say church? Well, first off, we had a great day at church. Great preacher, spoke the word, so the music guy said, right? You're gonna walk in and you're gonna say, hey, I went to church. Hey, let me tell you what we learned in church. Let me tell you what I've learned about God this week in quiet time. Let me tell you what I've been reading the scripture. How, when was the last time you had a conversation because you had a quiet time and it overflowed your life? It overflowed your personal godliness that it out, expressed outwardly into the public. And you sat there and you just said, hey, I read this word. Let me tell you how this story can apply to this situation in your life today. Publicly devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures. Would your coworkers be shocked if they knew you were here today? 
Would they be shocked if you said, hey, I went to church yesterday. Would your coworkers be like, what, really you? I didn't think that was you. I didn't think you were one of those people. Or would you say, hey, I went to church yesterday, and they look at you and say, yeah, we expected that. That's quite consistent with who you are. We understand. So devote yourself to the public reading of the Scriptures. Secondly, when it comes to publicly showing exhortations to one another, what does it mean by exhorting one another, encouraging one another? And when you look at this word, it really means when we come together as a body of believers, do we dig in the Word? And do we say, hey, where's the Scripture apply in your life on this? And we look at it and say, you know what? This is what God is teaching me today. What's He teaching you? And we get together and we rub shoulders together and we encourage one another. So when Timothy would go from house to house of all these churches, and he'd sit down and he would start teaching. He would sit down and as he taught, he would be hearing what God's doing in their community and their sub suburb and their congregation that they had at that local place. And then he would bring and say, this is what God's been teaching me to teach y'all today. Publicly exhort one another, encourage one another. I hope you haven't come to church and the last time you've been encouraged or felt the Holy Spirit move through your life was the day you accepted Christ. I hope the last time you've come to church and felt the Holy Spirit move in your life, it wasn't because you said, I need to get baptized. I hope we come often to church and we feel the Holy Spirit move in our life to change us, to say we need to be training for godliness each and every day. But unfortunately, I believe some of us have come to church regularly and we haven't been training. And we got our participation trophy and we're good with that because we said yes to Jesus years ago, but we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and keep changing us on a day-by-day -day basis. Church, we've got to train for godliness so that others can be encouraged around us. And then third part of that is, is we devote ourselves to teaching. And when we devote ourselves to teaching, this word teaching is very similar to the same word as encourage or exhort one another. Except this teaching is out there and not in here. Because when it says go and teach, devote yourself to the teaching, that means when you go to the common places, when you go to the synagogues to teach Timothy, and when you go into the market square and y'all discuss and have these conversations, you're talking to non-believers to say, hey, this is who God is. This is how he can work in your life. This is his relationship he wants to have with mankind and how he redeems man back into a right relationship with him. So we devote ourselves to the teaching of the story of God. We devote ourselves to minister and bring new people in. So when we devote ourselves, we're devoting ourselves to publicly reading of the scriptures. It overflows out of our mouth. Secondly, we encourage and exhort, but also we teach each other. We teach others out there who Jesus is so they can have the choice and know their decision. Do they need Christ or not in their life? We teach them about who the gospel. Thirdly, though, we've talked about personal godliness. We've talked about public godliness. Lastly, in this passage, it talks about a progressive godliness. And I know a lot of times when we think progressive, we're sitting here, I don't want you to go, I don't want you to go political on me. I want you to just, progressive means you're moving forward. Progressive means you're building upon. 
progressive means you're making progress in your godliness. So you have personal godliness that we're training for, which then overflows as we train for public godliness. But you should have this progressive godliness that moves on. As he talks to Peter here, I mean, as he talks to Timothy, he says, do not neglect the gift you have. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Keep a close watch on yourself. Persist in these things. It's a growing, it's that constant Constant gnawing of train, train to be more and more godly. So as we progressive, seek progressive godliness, we have to practice godliness. We have to practice that godliness. Don't neglect it. Immerse yourself in it. When it comes to immersing yourself, that means just getting thrown in off the deep end, right? How many of you learned how to swim because your dad walked up to a swimming pool and threw you in and said, good luck, son? Huh? God, thanks, man. Derek has. Was it the deep end or the shallow end? I got you. You break the ice before you got. Never mind. <laughs> All right. My dad was very notorious for this. Come on, he wouldn't throw me in, but he put me on the edge of the pool and say, "Swim to me." And as he swam to me, he started doing this in the water, right? And I'm like, man, I know, I know I've reached dad by now. I know I reached dad. I look up, and there he is, still two foot away from me. Just keeps walking back. Maybe that happened to you. Also, when it comes to maybe learning another language, anybody try to learn another language? I took a whole semester in college in Spanish. I didn't quite grasp it, okay? But when I went to Argentina for five weeks, right after learning that, first four weeks, everything just went away. And I went into this area in Argentina, and here it comes, everyone's speaking Spanish, my brain shuts down for four weeks, nothing, nada. See, got it. Fifth week. It came back, and all of a sudden, I could say, hola, and I could say, adios, and then they would laugh at me for my bad accent, right? But then things start kind of popping back. It was great in week five, because I could finally ask, where's the bathroom? Woo, what a relief, right? It's good times. But when you get thrown and immersed into a new language, the best way is they dump you in there, and they say, sink or swim. Because you have to know how to eat real quick. You do have to know your destination, even if it is the bathroom, quick. And you learn language and you pick it up fast. When it comes to driving, we go to driver's ed, you sit in this class and they teach you driver's ed. They say, you did great, you know the manual, you get 100%. Now go get behind the wheel, you're good to go, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. A lot different than reading the manual than actually going out and driving. You can have a lot of knowledge in there, but we got to have some application that goes along with it. So they teach you how to drive as well. And then when you become a believer and you seek a godly life and you say, I want to do something great for God's kingdom, what do we do? Well, you got to go to Bible study for so many years. You need some training. And eventually, if you haven't proved that, that you're heretical in what you say, we may let you out and greet people at the front door. Okay? When it comes to godliness and we're training in our life, we need people plugged in and doing things quickly. I'll err on the side of action over knowledge any day because at least I can give knowledge along the way. Right? I can give knowledge to a person that's a new believer that comes and say, hey, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't greet people that way. I can train that. 
But to sit here and get someone motivated that hasn't done it, that doesn't feel like doing it, it's a lot harder. So we should be progressively moving in our godliness as we train. And as we train, we should be moving farther and farther. And we should be seeing that layers and layers, we're becoming more and more like Christ. But it requires us to go and do. It requires action on our part. We need to be immersed in what we do. We need to practice godliness, but we also need to protect godliness. And when we talk about protecting godliness, as we're moving forward, we're not neglecting it. We do not arrive in this life. We do not arrive. If you're sitting out there and you're thinking, I'm sitting in this chair and I've been here for years. And I know all these people around me aren't quite as mature as I am in the Christian world. I have news for you. Don't stop. Don't arrive. We don't compare ourselves with the person sitting next to us. We compare ourselves to Jesus. And until I am the mirror image of Jesus, then I'm going to keep pursuing godliness and keep passionately pursuing godliness. Why? Because it makes a difference in the people around me. It makes a difference in how I talk to people and how I set the example and how I devote myself to it. So why do we progressively grow in godliness? Paul says it in verse 16. By doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is not talking about if you do enough stuff, you'll get to heaven. This is talking about by you training for godliness, it will overflow out of your life that people will want what you have. People will desire who you are. I don't know what's going on with that guy. I need some of that. He's excited. He's talking about someone that can save me. He can tell me I don't have to stay in the same life situation I'm in. I can look at it from a different perspective and be changed. So as we move forward, here's the now what. Here's the now what. How's God leading you? How's God leading you? How are you training to be more and more godly in your life? Are you in the word? Are you talking with God? Are you obeying God? Because being in the word without obedience is just being in the word. Are you obeying what God is teaching you? Are you ministering to others? Are you sharing what you know about God daily? Because see, every morning when you wake up and you say, hey, I want to go train. I want to go work out. I want to be more and more godly. There's all those reasons in your head of why you shouldn't. There's all those reasons. Anytime I've tried to do any type of exercise or anytime I say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to get up, I'm going to be a new person, right? Alarm clock goes off. Who are you thinking you are getting up this hour? You're right. Click. Every time. It doesn't go away. It doesn't get easier. But if I'm devoted and if I'm training, then it doesn't matter what the voices in my head say. I need to be pursuing godliness. Because when I listen to me and all the negative that goes along in my head, that means I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit that says, that's not you anymore. Yes, get up and train for godliness. Yes, get up and train. Yes, get up and train. Yes, get up and be more like me. So let me ask again, if, if Woodland Park Baptist Church disappeared, would the community notice? I pray it would. But I also pray 
that we make them notice by us training for godliness publicly, privately, that overflows into the public life and that we progressively pursue godliness each and every day. Don't listen to the voices around you that say, don't you know who you are? Listen to the Holy Spirit that says, you can do it because you have Christ in your life. I don't want to finish life and receive the participation trophy. I want the victory trophy. I want us to have a victory trophy. Not that we're competing with other churches. I just want at the end that says, you know what? He fought a good fight. He ran a good race. The church ran a good race. The church became more and more like Christ each and every day. They did what they were called to do. Don't let them look down upon you because of your youth. Set the example. Devote yourself. And protect the godliness that you have. The invitation today is simple. Where are you at in this? What do you need? If it's Christ for the first time, here to speak to you. If it's, I just need to take another step in my walk with God, where the Holy Spirit convicts you, talk to Him. Talk to Him right where you're sitting. Father God, I do thank you for today. Father, I thank you for your word. Let us pursue godliness in all that we do. And let us seek you each and every day so that we can be more and more like you and that it overflows in our community around us. We worship you for that. Mold us, shape us, guide us. In your name we pray. Amen.